Who is responsible for allowing bullying to continue in our society? Is it our schools? Is it our own kids? Or is it us as parents? Let's discuss that after I hit this music. Joining me again for the second time is Barbara Coloroso. She is an author and educator. And my favorite thing I like to point out about her, she also helped write the laws on anti-bullying for Texas and Colorado. Barbara, thank you for coming back on. Oh, it's a joy, Tim. Thank you for having me on this really important topic that's not getting any better, in fact, is getting much worse. And the first question you asked me uh, was, what's keeping it going and who's keeping it going? And I have to answer to that, all of us. Uh, going back to what bullying is, uh, it's not a conflict, it's not a, a, an act of uh, uh, in spontaneous aggression, it's a conscious, willful, deliberate, hostile activity intended to harm where the perpetrators get pleasure from the pain they inflict on the targeted person. And it can have as its overlay race, religion, gender, physical or mental ability, economic status, uh, the fact that the targeted kid has an allergy. It can be tar a, a kid can be targeted because they're new. The one thing all targeted kids have in common, somebody targeted them. And then going even further back, um, and this will date me from the movie South Pacific, uh, there's a song, you have to be carefully taught to hate before you're six, seven, or eight to hate the people your relatives hate. Bullying is a learned behavior. It's not normal, it's not natural, and it certainly isn't necessary. It is a learned behavior. And how do kids learn it? Well, we have to look at ourselves first, and that's not just parents, but it's anybody who has any kind of involvement with young people whether it's online or offline, uh, in person, or um, in a note to somebody. Uh, so I want you to check yourself. How do you treat hired help? How do you treat somebody moving through the grocery store a little slower than you'd like them to? Uh, how do you treat the new neighbor who looks different than you do, who has a different faith tradition, a different language is their first language, dresses differently, um, cooks foods that are unfamiliar to you because your children are watching. And how do you deal? Also, I want to add to that, Barbara. I want to add to that. How do you also represent yourself on social media? Uh, absolutely. And that's why I said online and offline, because if yeah. you are being mean and cruel to other human beings, targeting them yourself with vicious, bigoted, hateful comments, uh, then your children, it, since it's there forever, will be able to know you in a, a way that you might not want them to. And then going back to a real life situation uh, where um, what do you do if you have a bigoted relative? Now, all of us have bigoted relatives somewhere on the family tree. Some just aren't on the branches yet. They're right there at the dinner table spewing bigoted comments thinly disguised as jokes. Can your children hear you saying that was a bigoted comment or that was a racist comment or that was a sexist comment or that was mean and cruel when all the other relatives roll their eyes and say, what, can't you take a joke? And you can say, not that kind. Now, your children have observed that. It gets worse, though, because mom is now upset with you for spoiling the dinner. You didn't do it. You didn't make the comment. 
you called somebody on a bigoted, sexist, or racist comment. But she says, you know, your Uncle George is old. Old. I'm 76. No excuse for bigoted comments. Age doesn't matter here. Uh, you may have grown up using certain comments, but we can always grow and learn and be more deeply caring toward others. So when your mother is ripping you apart, can your children hear you saying, but mom, I don't want my children to ever think that those comments are okay, regardless of who said them. So the chances of your children, as the topic for today, becoming a brave-hearted witness, resistor, or defender, which is, by the way, the antithesis of those who bully, uh, you have a greater chance if they have actually seen you walk the talk and talk the walk. So uh, when the high-status social bully, either in first grade or at 15, says to all the other girls, I don't like the new girl. You want to be in my group? Don't eat lunch with her. I want your daughter who has seen you walking your talk, to be the one to say, that's me, that's cruel, and have the courage, and it does take courage, to go sit next to the new girl, because she will do that at cost. There'll be no scratch and sniff stickers and stars, catch and be in good awards or lunch with the principal. What she'll probably get as a five-year-old or a 15-year-old, oh, Miss Goody Two-Shoes, or um, you're not going to be included in our group either, just watch your back. But she's willing to stand up and speak out and step in and do the right thing when the burden's heavy. And your boy in the locker room, when the high-status social bully starts targeting another boy, can your son stand in between the two and say, back off, leave him alone? He's not such a bad kid. Knowing he will do that at cost, he'll probably get, what are you, chicken? What do you just like him? But we have to walk our talk and talk our walk first. As educators, and I am an educator, in the classroom, when we hear somebody making a racist or sexist or other bigoted comment intended to dehumanize somebody, because bullying is about contempt for another human being, can our students see us calling someone on it, whether it's another student or an adult in the room? Our children need to know that this is safe harbor. Our homes and our schools and our community are safe harbor for anyone. I go back to Martin Buber's comment that I am I and you are thou and we have a common humanity. We are interrelated, interconnected, interdependent. It's Archbishop Desmond Tutu said so beautifully that I can't be fully me without my interactions with you. And in bullying, I take the thou in you and make you into an int. Um, I work in Rwanda with orphans from the genocide in 1994, where in 100 days, almost a million human beings were macheted to death because they were considered less than human. They were called cockroaches. Armenians during the genocide of the Armenians were called dogs. Jews were called vermin and bacteria eating at the fabric of our society. Uh, Rohingyas today, are being called fleas. Migrants crossing our border are being called horrible, dehumanizing names. And so once that begins to happen and I dehumanize you in my mind, I can do anything to you. 
and not feel any shame or compassion. So it's critical in the classroom or in our homes when our own children make those kinds of comments that we stop it dead in its tracks. And we talk to them about, we're all different. We're all unique. We have weaknesses and liabilities. And in my classroom, I assure kids, you don't have to like everybody in this classroom, but you must honor their humanity. You must treat them with dignity and regard. And if we can do that in our homes and our schools, even though in our culture today, we're fighting that regularly, um, mm -hmm. we can begin to make a difference. Our homes and schools not only reflect our culture, they help create our culture. So we have to understand the power. And I want to, for a moment, go back to the bully circle. The roles all of us play, whether we're in society as a whole online, and that's such an important influence, Tim, that you mentioned, or in our own homes or the community, we have a bully circle. In the center is the person targeted, whether it's a student, a family member, because siblings can target siblings. It's not just conflict. There's a huge difference between conflict and bullying. We have to teach our kids to handle their conflicts nonviolent, but, but we have to stop bullying in its tracks. But anyone can be What's targeted. What's a conflict, Barbara? What's a conflict? Yeah, for, for our YouTube people who didn't get a chance to hear this one. Yeah. Um, can you briefly describe a conflict versus bullying? Okay. Two kids fighting over a TV program. That's a conflict. Two kids fighting over where they sit in the car. That's a conflict. Um, two kids on the playground at school fighting over a soccer ball. That's a conflict. Conflict is normal. As Liz Losher said, conflict is inevitable. Violence is not. So our job as parents or educators or community leaders is to teach young people to handle their conflicts nonviolently. However, the 10-year-old has a five-year-old's arm up the back, and we're not talking a yoga pose here. The kid's in serious pain, screaming at the top of his lungs. You rush in there, and as soon as your 10-year-old sees you, she drops her brother's arm and starts comforting him. And we say to the younger one, what are you screaming like that for? And the way your older one looks at the younger one, because bullying has to do with intimidation, he knows if he says anything right now, since bullying tends to happen under the radar of adults, he knows that when you leave, he's going to be in bigger trouble if he says anything right now. So he says, nothing, mom, nothing. And we say, well, then quit screaming like that. We have just retargeted the target. We've affirmed that the older sibling can get away with this. Uh, as long as the other kid doesn't tell on them with that threat of intimidation. And if we look today, we see people threatening others in our society, intimidating them into silence. Well, I want our young people to know that that's not going to be tolerated. So we, we deal with that as for what it is. It's bullying. Um, but step back a moment. When you walked in there, you saw something you wished you hadn't seen. You saw your daughter smile before she saw you. That's bullying. A conscious, willful, deliberate, hostile activity intended to harm where you get pleasure from somebody else's pain. It can be verbal, it can be physical, or it can be what young people call today social. In my day, we called it relational. That's shunning, rumor, gossip, and exclusion. So all of those things um, are rarely done just by the bully doing it to the target. And again, when I use those words, these are roles kids are playing. And what we want to really do is help rewrite the roles to the point where uh, there is the bully, 
There's the bullied and the not so innocent bystanders. William Burroughs said it so beautifully. There are no innocent bystanders. What were they doing there in the first place? Um, and what they were doing contributes to the impact of the mean and cruel that the bully reaped on the targeted person. Uh, and right across from the bully is a character we're talking about today, that witness, resistor, defender, the kid willing to stand up and speak out as a witness, the a kid who's willing to go up to the other kid who is doing the bullying and say, that's mean and cruel, leave him alone. Or the defender, one willing to step right in between or to go sit next to the new girl. All three of those roles help a young person be, become that brave-hearted kid. I got a question for you. So back when school started this year in my, in my town, we had a huge fight breakout, like the second day of school. A kid recorded the whole incident on his phone. What would that classify that kid recording it? Depends on what he did with it. Oh, he shared it to TikTok and went, it went viral. Uh, if they recorded it as a witness to show it to the authorities, to show what actually happened to the targeted person. Now, you said it was a fight, and that's one of the mistakes we often make. If it truly was this one-on-one -on -one or a group and a group More fighting, like two-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. If it was that, that's a fight, and we have to work with the two of them to help bring the tempers down. But if somebody videoed it and then posted it, then they have become an active supporter in causing pain to whoever got beaten up. And okay. I, I, the reason I called you on, it, was it really a fight? Did somebody target someone that um, had less power than they did? Because there's always an imbalance of power uh, in bullying, not always in conflict. Well, this one was two versus one kid, and I don't know the whole story behind it. There's multiple stories as uh, who started what either way it was i mean this kid got his head stepped on kicked okay and i look at two on one that's an imbalance of power let's look at what the what the characteristics of bullying are besides humiliating somebody or harming them uh or having contempt for them there's an imbalance of power there's always an intent to harm you stop on somebody's head that's an intent to harm there is also threat of further aggression Often the kid who's been targeted is afraid to tell because um, of retaliation, which is real. It's a real fear enough that acts of retaliation are mentioned in almost every anti-bullying law in this country, uh, that there will be ramifications if somebody retaliates against. But the fear is there. And if that is not handled right there, when the threat of further aggression is there and the act of being mean and cruel is not dealt with, a fourth characteristic comes in, and that's terror. And once there is terror, it is an end in itself. It's not a means to the end. It is an end in itself where kids are afraid to go to school. Um, they're uh, afraid to walk down the street. In our own communities, with so much bigotry and intolerance going around in our communities, there are people afraid to wear their, their clothing or something that represents their faith tradition or speak a language that somebody may target. 
Um, so it isn't just in our schools we need to be addressing this. We need to address this there, too. But let's go back to the person who videoed it. If yeah. they videoed it to be able to give it to someone who can deal with it, that is being a witness, a brave-hearted kid. And we have to promise them an anonymity. It has to be safe to tell in our schools. However, if he uploaded it, he has become part of what Sebastian Hafner called the trap of comradeship. He wrote this in the book, Defying Hitler. Where when you get a collective together of kids playing various roles, they be consumed by the role. They are consumed by this role and they feed into the power of the person who's mean and cruel. So in that bully circle, you have the bully and they can be an instigator, planner, or perpetrator, or all three. In fact, you may often catch the henchman, which is the second character, who does the bully's bidding. A young girl in the lunchroom, uh, there's an empty space uh, there, and the new girl's walking in, but the bully is sitting in one chair. Her henchman's in the second chair. How do you know she's her henchman? She says, the first girl says, the bully, says to the other girl, put your backpack down so the other girl can't sit here. And the henchman goes along to get along and puts her backpack down. Now, the third character is what you're referring to, that active supporter. They didn't take part in it, but they whipped their phone out and videoed this exchange where the one girl tells the other girl to put your backpack down. The new girl walks up and realizes she really doesn't have a place to sit and uploads it so that more people can get pleasure from her pain. Uh, so she's a part of the problem, or he's a part of the problem at this point. Uh, right below them is the passive supporter. They're the ones that would open up that TikTok or Instagram and laugh at the harm done to the targeted girl. The very bottom is a deadly law that can be you or me, can be other students, uh, it can be siblings, who turn a blind eye, the disengaged onlooker says, not my problem, he's not my friend, the kid who's doing the mean and cruel is my friend, I want to fit in the group. They do nothing. They are part of the problem. And on the upswing is that potential witness. That's the kid you did raise to act with integrity and civility and compassion. But they're afraid of getting hurt if they step in. And that's a valid reason. They are afraid of becoming a new target of the bully. Uh, the, they are afraid of doing something that will only make the situation worse, or they just simply don't know what to do. What if they upload it to TikTok because they're trying to say, well, I'm trying to build awareness of what's going on in our schools? It's how it's presented. If it's to get pleasure from the pain of the targeted kid, if there's a message there, our school needs help. This is going on. Somebody take notice is a very different upload. If they blurred the targeted kid's face, and by the way, you say, I don't know how to do that. Kids do. Oh, they yeah. know how to do that. So, you know, intent matters. Um, I always talk about the big I and the three C's. What's your intent for doing it? What's the content of what you did? What's the circumstance you did it in by saying, Hey, school, I need you to be aware of what's going on. That's different than, ha, look what happened here to this boy. Very different. So you have the, the, the content, 
the circumstance it's happening in. Then you have um, the potential uh, consequences that can come from this. Um, and you basically have less control over the latter. Let's say it goes viral and kids or other people, because adults do this too, start to mock the kid, saying he's chicken, he should have set up for himself. Uh, I see this with some anti-bullying programs today that alarm me, where we actually say it's the targeted kid's fault he got targeted. Give me a break. Yes, we have to yeah. help them be stronger. We have to help them to be supported and standing up for themselves. But it is not their fault that somebody did mean and cruel, got two kids to gang up on the other. So what's your intent? What's the content of what you did? What's the circumstances? And what are the potential consequences? We have to, as adults, look at those big I and the three C's. But I start teaching kids that about age seven. To examine what you're doing here. I was on a uh, Facebook group. It was it's not local here, but um, this mom mess uh made a post that her kids being bullied in school. Didn't say what the bullying was. She left it anonymous. Her posts got a lot of attention and like, like, like not like likes, but like engagements. So then she went posted later on. Oh, I was the one that made the post. So I, I, I clicked on her name because I want to know why would you go anonymous and then all of a sudden come out because cause she even said, I didn't mean for this post to go viral. Okay, so I clicked on this lady's information. I scrolled through her Facebook page. It's all FUs, this, that. It's toxic. Yes. Picture of her kid. I'm picturing my kid to use her voice. Uh, she, apparently, she broke the school rules on, on a dress code. She's teaching her kid how to use her voice, but basically what she's doing, she's teaching her kids how to be defiant against a rule. For instance, when you go to a job, there's a dress code. You have to follow that dress code at a job. If my employee came to work wearing whatever they felt like wearing that day, I would say go home and change. So, but anyway, this person who's claiming that her kid was being bullied, the point was she made it anonymous, got attention, now she wants to let everybody know that, oh, it was my kid. I did this. And I feel like this parent is, I'm not sure how to say this, Barbara, without being mean about it. I feel like this parent's just kind of looking for a fight. Yeah. I think, she, I think the parent handled it poorly. If there was an issue, that's one of the problems today with social media is we bring it all out there and lay it out, kind of, <laughs> not fully, not with all the information. Yeah. And uh, um, I am working on a, a book right now called Mistakes, Mischief, and Mayhem. And I talk about uh, rules and guidelines and manners. You know, manners are how we relate to one another. Guidelines are how we expect kids to behave. And rules are how they must behave. And so dress codes can fit in, in basically in guidelines or rules. Uh, if it's a rule, there's a reason for it. I mean, firefighters have to show up with all their gear <laughs> and they have to be physically um, healthy uh, and the like uh, for that job. And other jobs, you have to show up in certain kind of uniforms as well. Um, and in school, dress codes can bring about a lot of controversy. One in recently that's now going to the Civil Rights Division 
federally because a young boy with um, his hair, he'd braided it up. It's very long, uh, beautiful hair, but it said it had to be above his shoulder. So his mom pulled it up in beautiful braiding, which took a long time. He was still suspended for that. And we have a hair act, a federal hair act, where you can't discriminate in the workplace for somebody's natural hair. Um, and other schools look at it and go, just so we can see your eyes and, you know, you want to pull it back. And so those are guidelines that we need to see your eyes uh, wearing a hat. So you have to determine, you know, this, this mother was upset, obviously. She wanted her kid to have her own voice, but she did not teach her how to have her own voice, really. She taught her, um, in, instead of dialoguing, uh, giving her own point of view, standing up for herself, I'm suspecting they both attacked. And in the, the process, an administrator is at a, a, a crossroads here. What do I do? Is it a rule or is it a guideline? You know, two yellow lines down the road is a rule. You and I have to follow yeah. that. Um, a, a guideline would be, uh, I say that in my state now, that speeding is a suggestion, <laughs> you know, because it doesn't say, you know, the speed limit's a suggestion that people are speeding. Um, I always marvel when somebody whips past me and stops at the red light I had to stop at, you know. <laughs> um, Rules are there for safety and how we interact in a healthy way with others. There are exceptions to the rules where the rule is still valid. However, an ambulance goes down the road, we pull over, let them go over that yellow line. Why? Because it's the right thing to do, to let somebody get to the hospital quickly. That ambulance driver didn't violate the law. They superseded the law for a greater good. Um, and so I want to teach young people about that as well. And whatever her violation for the dress code was, I'm hoping there were reasonable, simple, valuable, and practical consequences. Yeah. It's, it's not, not so much that then we yeah, have to the, deal the dress with that. code part didn't bother me. It's the, what bothers me is we have parents teaching their kids to use their voice. And the, the problem is we're using our voice the wrong way. We see it on TV with protesting. I'm okay with the protest, but when you go and damage people's you know, property, buildings, uh, beat somebody up. That's not protest. That's, that's an not, attack. That's not. But the news, the news will call it a protest. Well, we, we mislabel bullying, too. We mislabel conflict. Yeah. We've got to get it right. And if we can get it right in our homes and our schools, these young people are growing up. Um, I protested. I protested in the civil rights movement. But we were taught not, the year before we did it, we had to study nonviolence. Um, I would add I was a nun during that time. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not, no longer a nun with a husband and three kids. But we protested. And um, we had to do it in a nonviolent way. We were trained in that. Uh, and even if they would set the dogs on us, how to respond. Um, I protested uh, in the uh, here in Greeley. That's how I met my husband here at un university uh, for the uh, Cesar Chavez protests uh, with unions and migrants and and with the great boycott in California. There is a time to stand up and let your voice be heard. We have to do it in a way that still honors the other human being. 
uh, and not destroy property, not I go back to New Zealand with the Maoris. They have what's known as the haka. And it's a a dance of anger in order to get you ready to do something constructive. It's a very powerful dance. They even did it. They brought some Maoris over to do it, to celebrate those who, um, the firefighters uh, and police officers who died during 9-11. They did the haka in celebration of their their um, bravery uh, going toward rather than w- moving away. But the haka is a dance of anger. Anger is not a bad thing. It's what you do with that anger. Um, uh, it's like John Lewis said, make good trouble. Uh, that if there's something that's been violated, if a kid has been harmed, there's a time to be angry. But we must do it in a way that leaves my dignity and the other party's dignity intact. We've lost that along the way, and it's so important we get back to that. I tell students, again, not only do you not have to like every kid in this classroom and honor their humanity, that you need to handle your conflicts nonviolently. Yes, you can be upset, but how do you protest in a productive way? Uh, And there are ways to do that. And if you've got somebody spewing things, uh, using gross language and attacking others, then uh, the avenue needs to be, okay, your daughter has a conflict. Let's go deal with it with the administration. And there are times the outcome is not always what we want. Uh, And if it's a violation of any civil rights code, then you have a step above that. And in my um, bully, bully, not so innocent bystander, I talk about how parents can report if they feel their child's being targeted uh, and do it in a productive way. Uh, And know, number one, that their kid will not be retaliated against, that they will be given the support they need. They will be given a way to rewrite their script so they don't become uh, a target on a regular basis. But we also promise them that we will deal effectively with the people who are targeting them. That's so important. Many kids who are afraid to stand up then get a headache, and they're so afraid um, of what might happen because they don't feel good about not stepping in. They know they should, but they're really afraid. Then they start lousy excusing. (laughs) They make lousy excuses for why, oh, he wasn't my friend, or the bully is my friend, or she deserved it, or he was a loser. Um, And besides, this is too big a pain in the brain. Parents also teach their kids, if it's not your problem, don't make it your problem. Well, but if somebody's harming somebody, I want them to know they can be a witness, resistor, or defender. If we don't do that, this will never stop. And we need every kid to feel safe. We need to know that they matter, that they have dignity and worth, um, and that differences are to be celebrated, not ignored, overlooked, but truly celebrated for the gifts that they truly are. Barbara, if people want to find your books and your new one that you're writing, where can they do that? Um, uh, in at bookstores, hopefully, but also on Amazon, but also if you go to our website. Um, you will not only see the books that I've written, but you will notice in the top right-hand corner a summary of the bullying book, a 68-page summary um, made for educators and parents that you can download and read free. 
it's there. Also, a handout for What's every one of my books is online at www.kidsareworthit, all spelled out, dot com. Thanks again, Barbara. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And for myself, you can always find us at our very own website, which is www.breakingbullying.com. You can also reach out to us at our email address. If you have a story of your own bullying to share, or for whatever reason you want to get a hold of us, our email address is breakbullyinghere at gmail.com. Now, if you're a victim of bullying and you don't know where to turn, there is online resources to help you. The first is the government's very own anti-bullying website, and the address is www.stopbullying.gov. And other online resource is www.pacer.org backslash bullying. Now, if you have had thoughts of suicide or of self-harm, we implore you to stop. Reach out to the National Suicide Hotline. That number is very simple. It's 988. I'm Tim Flynn, and thank you for listening. And we will be back next week to continue the conversation to break the silence on bullying.